All right. Good morning, church. All right. Good morning, church. Oh, it's so good to be here. Uh, Let's see, where do I start? It's Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all of you dads out there. Hopefully you received a good breakfast. Hopefully you received a tasteful breakfast and maybe a gift or two. I know Mark Arnett just got a new mountain bike uh, for an early Father's Day. That was great. My weed whacker broke this week, so I'm, I'm going to be getting a weed whacker. Uh, so hopefully, let's see, Scott is getting a new house here soon. Uh, so it looks like everybody is outdoing me in the Father's Day realm. So uh, anyway, I'm super excited for my weed whacker. So happy Father's Day. Uh, we don't have bacon and donuts and coffee and orange juice and the Broncos Super Bowl game for, for you dads uh, this year. So you're going to have to do that on your own. All the games are on YouTube. So pull up your favorite team. If they've ever won a Super Bowl, uh, you'll be able to find that. If not, you can watch someone else win a Super Bowl again uh, and enjoy yourself that way. For those of you in the room, it's not yet Father's Day, but happy Father's Day to all of you. Raise your hand if you're a dad. Raise your hand if you're a grandpa. Raise your hand if you're a great-grandpa. Scott, not yet? Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, so we're super excited uh, for, for what's going on here at the church. Again, please go to our website, check that out. We really are excited for having you back next Sunday. It is going to be uh, incredible. You just can't touch anyone. Uh, so pretend like you're back in kindergarten. Keep your hands to yourself. Uh, we have been in this series called Hope in the Midst of Chaos. And if you've been watching the news for any length of time, and that does not seem to be letting up anytime soon. Uh, the chaoticness of all kinds uh, is always on the news. And it just is so, again, spectacular that God pre-planned this series, this teaching series about a year ago for us to title it and to study it. And yet here we are, it seems like every single week uh, is applicable to what's going on both in our, in our times, in our culture, but also in our individual lives. And this week is no different. If you may last week, Dan did an outstanding job, did he not? Dan did an outstanding job uh, unpacking the scriptures, sharing his experiences, and lead us, leading us through that passage. If you've missed any of our uh, teaching series, uh, messages for this series, please jump on our website. They have all of those on there, and, and you can catch up very, very quickly. All right, that's enough of that. Let's hit it because this morning is going to be a doozy. If you have your Bibles, uh, or if you haven't run and gotten those, please hit pause, run and grab your Bible, open it up to the book of First Peter chapter 3. If you're new to the Bible, new to church, new to this kind of Christianity thing, uh, if you go about, I don't know, a little bit more than three quarters of the way through the Bible, you'll find the epistle called First Peter uh, towards the end of the Bible, and it's broken up in the chapters. We'll be in chapter number three starting at verse 13. So please allow me to read this. And this is, uh, I'm just going to warn you right now, this is pretty preachy this morning because it is the gospel, uh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. And so if you're here, uh, would you please stand? If you're at home, I can't see you, but if you would also stand for the reading of God's word. We don't do this every Sunday, but I just feel like, doggone it, this one deserves us to stand at attention. So listen to what the word of the Lord says says, starting in verse 13. Now, who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? If you're wondering what that good is, go listen to Dan's message from last week. He explained that. But if you're eager to do what is good, who will harm you? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. 
Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear so that when you are maligned, those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good if suffering should be God's will than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered. Here's why we're standing. For Christ also suffered for sins once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. We're going to come back to that. In order to bring you to God, he was put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit in which also he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. What the heck does that mean? We're going to unpack that. Who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God, for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Let's pray. God, as we get ready to unpack your truth, this life-changing, life-altering truth, would you give me the words straight from you? Would the meditations of my heart in this moment and beforehand and afterwards be pleasing to you? And may the words that come from my mouth bring glory to the truth that is you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may go ahead and have a seat both here and at home. Although if you want to stay standing, you may do so as well. So here, Peter makes it clear that the spiritually mature men and women Described in 1 Peter again, Dan covered that, please go back and listen to that, will provoke some responses of the world. Maybe some of you have received some of those responses. But Peter wants it to be clear, don't be surprised if those responses aren't always good, if they're not always positive. In fact, they could be violent. They could be deadly, especially in first century Christianity. And with that, it seems odd to ask, but I will ask you this morning, are you in need of encouragement? Do you need encouragement in your own personal life right here, right now? Maybe for all of us, the answer is obviously yes. Maybe for some of you, you don't think you need any encouragement, I, but I promise you the person next to you or your neighbor or your coworker or a family member or maybe you possibly someday is going to need this encouragement that we will read about and study this morning. Peter begins our passage by giving a very distinct directive for the follower of Jesus Christ. That is to always be ready to explain your hope to always be ready to explain why you have hope in this world, especially in today's times. Why do you have hope? We're going to come back to this. We're going to skip around a little bit because I'm going to actually reverse our passage in the epistle. 
And the reason why I'm going to do this, because at first glance, the directive to always have a, uh, have a chance to share your reason for your hope can seem daunting at best and, and actually depressing at worst. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at this passage kind of upside down because the passage that we're looking at this morning is actually intended to be one of encouragement. It was intended to be encouraging for Peter, Peter writing it, and it's meant to be an encouragement to you and I reading and studying it today. But it's important to piece together this puzzle in the right order if we're going to obtain the boldness and the courage and the strength that Peter is alluding to. Peter encouraged the readers of his letter by reminding them who they are as the children of God. That's your encouragement today. If you have given your life to Jesus, if you have confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. This is supposed to be an encouragement for your hope. Let me read this for you again, beginning in verse 18. It says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formally did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safe through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with the angels and authorities and the powers having been subject to him. So let's look at this passage as it's laid out. First, the example of Christ. Notice what it says. Christ also suffered. If that's in your version and you have a pen, underline that. That, that is something you never want. Forget that's something that should always be on your fingertips, especially if you dare turn on the news. That Christ also suffered. Christ is one with us in this experience. It's incredible, as I've reflected on it this week, that the one to whom you pray, the one to whom you have hope for your life, the one whose grace and mercy that you depend on, walked where you walked, lived where you live, and suffered as you suffer. Jesus, in that way, is an example for us. And the pattern is looking at Christ and looking at Noah is this, that Christ by his very life proclaimed the gospel. He was mocked. And he was rejected, not by a few, but by everyone. And he suffered. But he was vindicated by the power of God. That is a powerful statement. Where do we receive our ability to be vindicated? Not by a judge, not by a culture, but by the God of the universe. That's where we're vindicated. And if we look for that vindication anywhere else, we are going to be still in want. We're going to feel empty. We're going to feel gypped. And Noah, by the act of building the ark, believing in the reality of the coming judgment, he preached the gospel in his day, and he too was vindicated by the power of God. And you too will be saved by that same power. 
That same power that vindicated Christ, that same power that vindicated Noah, that same power that has vindicated uh, believers and followers of Jesus for decades and centuries and thousands and millions of years, that same God vindicates you. You are made right. But Peter thinks of Christ as an example, but more than example. As he thinks of Christ, he thinks of Jesus Christ more than just an example. He immediately thinks of Christ as our substitute. Don't confuse that with a substitute teacher. It means standing in your place, receiving what you ought to receive. Not your joy, not your gifts, not your accolades, but your failure, your punishment, your suffering, your heartache, your loneliness, your injustice. And here we have one of the clearest, most crisp statements of the gospel, I believe, in all of Scripture. It says this, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, that he might carry us to God and present us, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. And then the passage goes on. Christ's sacrifice was not just one of many sacrifices. It was the final sacrifice. God sent his son to be the lamb, to be the perfect life, to face all of the harsh realities in a fallen world and everything that comes with it, to face the full range of temptation, to live through all of that without Sin in word, in thought, in deed, in desire. And then after living that way, to go to the cross on our behalf. On your behalf, on my behalf. For those of you watching at home, on your behalf. Finally making that sacrifice that would be acceptable to God and would finally satisfy his judgment because somebody had to pay injustice but full justice in God's eyes now right here right now in this moment your hearts maybe not your hands but your hearts should be applauding you should be throwing streamers it should be the biggest party based on this only pure section. Because that once and for all sacrifice is the hope of the universe. Everything hinges on that needle. That's the only hope. No compromises, no deals, no shortcuts. Without that lamb, without that sacrifice, there's no hope for us. There's no hope for you. There's no hope for your future. There's no hope for your kids. There's no hope for your marriage. There's no hope for our nation. There's no hope for our city. There's no hope for our church. There's no hope without this truth. Why? Because we're born into sin. We don't have a choice. We're, we're born into 
sin. And we're not able to rescue ourselves. You can't get out of it. I remember as a kid, you remember the cartoons where they would show quicksand? Actually, they had it also in like Lost in Space and others. You know, you'd see quicksand and people would start shrinking and they like couldn't get out. I've never seen quicksand. Have any of you ever seen quicksand? I don't even know if quicksand exists. But nevertheless, let's pretend it does. You can't get out of quicksand. Somebody, usually Dr. Smith in Lost in Space, had to like extend a tree branch for you. You can't get out. You can't save yourself. You can't do good enough. You can't live pure enough. You can't do good enough. We're unable to achieve acceptance with God. And so he says next, the righteous for the unrighteous. That sacrifice was a substitution. Jesus, the righteous one who knew no sin at all, now stands in the place of sinners. And he takes our punishment, what we rightfully deserve, and he puts it on his back and he would do it again today. Knowing all there is about you, all your garbage, all your secrets, all your thoughts, all your words, all your deeds, he would take it again like that. The Bible says, by his wounds, we are healed. And he does that so that we might be accepted by God not accepted by culture. Not to be accepted by our times. Not to be accepted by the cool person down the street. Not to be accepted by the cool person sitting in your row. You guys have any people that are cool in your row? Okay. Some of you are married. Should be a whole lot of yeses. He does that so we could be accepted by God. Because we can't achieve acceptance. There are poor individuals who go their whole life trying to be good enough. And they die exhausted and miserable and lonely. Never experiencing acceptance. But we cannot in and of ourselves satisfy the demands of God's anger. Someone had to receive that. And we love to look at God as holding the lamb and, and creating the universe and sitting back and smiling. There is a righteous anger of God and someone had to take it. And here's what it says. Why did he do all that? Quote, that he might bring us to God. And what's the result of that? The result of that is that we have a personal relationship with, acceptance with that holy God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe. As he brings us before God, he says, Randy's good, I say he's good, and God says, Randy's good. You see, without Jesus, you can't even approach the throne. You can't even have an appointment. You can't even speak. Now, why would Peter... 
And this, this really did occupy some of my study this week. Why would Peter let the telling of the gospel in, in our passage move to that level of extreme? In other words, move to that level of volume. You can almost uh, picture Peter as he's writing it. The pen or the ink or whatever they used is digging into the paper. It's getting harder and harder, and he can't write fast enough, and he's frantic. It's, he's had a lot of coffee. Why? Because these people who received the epistle, on a regular basis, they were being mocked and ostracized and judged and kicked out and name-called and arrested and beaten and charged, and they needed hope. And Peter wants them, and I believe God, going back to Alex's sermon a few weeks ago, this wasn't written to us, but it is written for us. And I believe what Peter wants us to know through the, uh, through the power of the Holy Spirit is to reflect on this ultimate awesome reality of our lives on their lives. That even though that they were misunderstood, even though they were mistreated, even though they were mocked and had re- they had received the most glorious gift ever known to mankind. This wonderful acceptance that is more than any human being could ever ask or imagine. And they received it. And I want to say to you this morning, To all of you here, for those of you who are uh, tuning in at home all around the United States, I want to say this very clearly. You and I must never get used to that. We must never take that for granted. That hope, that gift. And how much it costs. We must never get used to it. If you're a believer, I want to encourage you to say to yourself, God loves me. God accepted me. God parents me by his wisdom and his power and his grace. I've been adopted into his family. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. May you never take that for granted. Because the follower of Jesus who doesn't take that for granted can take the waves of injustice and sin and torment of what culture throws at us. But if you don't have that, you are on your own. At best, you're on your own strength. And you and I both know how weak that is. May you never take that for granted. You don't need to look for identity. I want to speak as Dan did to the younger crowd, and you decide if you're younger. I've given up trying to figure out who's young. I'll say just out of college and younger. You don't need to look for your identity. You don't need to look for acceptance. You don't need to look for value. You don't need to look for hope. You have identity. 
you have acceptance. You have value. And you have hope because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So praise Him. As often as you can, praise Him. And then Peter reminds us of God's vindication of Christ in the resurrection. He says, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit. Christ, the rejected one. Christ, the one who suffered. No greater injustice than that moment when the only perfect person who ever walked on the earth is tortured and killed as a critical in the epitome of injustice. With some trumped up charges and a ridiculous trial. Oh, that's Good Friday, but Easter's coming. Because he was vindicated by the power of God. What the enemy thought he was going to win, God turned it. And the one who died on the cross by the power, not of man, but by the power of God, the death on the cross came to be. He rose again from the grave and vindicated by God's power and God's plan. The Bible says that even before the world was formed, Jesus was part of the plan. It wasn't an oops. It wasn't a, well, we got to do something about this. We got to figure this out. He didn't create a community of angels. It's always been part of his plan. And then we move to this interesting example of Noah, verses 19 through 20. It says this. Quote, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Now, let's identify the elephant in the living room. You may have read that verse a couple of times or maybe you just read that for the first time this morning. And you've thought, what in the world is he talking about? What in the world is Peter trying to get across in his letter? What's he trying to capture? And I think the operating phrase in this passage that's going to help our understanding, I really need you to bear with me and put on your thinking caps, but this operating phrase that's going to give clarity to what Peter's trying to say is this, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Remember that statement. I'm convinced that that's the period of time that's being addressed here. And there's two phrases that go before that. One, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, number one. And number two, because they formally did not obey. Both are defined by that temporal phrase when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. What Peter is saying is that it was Christ who preached the gospel through Noah in those days. Think of that. We only usually will think of Jesus as the New Testament figure. And that's true for the man God. But don't forget, Jesus has always been. Jesus is the Savior. He is the voice who's always preaching and living out the gospel. And it was Jesus who preached the gospel through Noah in those days, those 120 years when God was being patient as Noah was building that ark and that ark itself being a warning to those people to repent. 
earlier referring to the prophets, Peter says this, it was Christ speaking through the prophets, again in the Old Testament. It was Christ who was speaking through the prophets who predicted the life of Christ, starting to sound like uh, a Dr. Seuss book here. But there's some incredible theology Rich theology here. Please don't miss it. In the same way, Peter is saying it was Christ who was speaking through Noah during this time when God was patiently waiting, giving an opportunity for people to repent. The Spirit of God at work, the Son of God at work, God the Father at work, trying desperately out of love and conviction and care for the Old Testament people to repent and turn their eyes to Him. And you might say, well, then why does he call them the spirits in prison? It's a great question, Josh. Well, it's actually a very common way of speaking if you think about it. And you'll probably think about this for quite a while. When we talk in culture, we mix history. We do it every day. You may not know this, but we always mix history. At least in America, we do this. You'll say, well, the president was born in 1946. Well, you've just mixed history because the man who was born in 1946 wasn't the president. He was a baby. But you know that people are going to understand what you're talking about. It's clear to you and it's clear to the listener. What you don't say is the person who has now become the president, but wasn't the president then, was born in 1946. Why don't we say that? Because people know what we're talking about. Does that make sense? We mix history all the time. And here, Peter theologically is mixing history. And so these people who were rebellious and mockers and rejected the message of God's servant are now the spirits in prison who are waiting the final judgment. And then the passage says this, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water, Noah was called to suffer. I don't like that part. I don't like that some people are called to suffer. But they are. Jesus Christ was called to suffer. That was the epitome of his existence, to suffer and die on the cross. And Noah's suffering was extensive. Do you know how long 120 years is for a home project? Mark? Like if you ever start replacing baseboards in your house, you're going to be there forever. You might not be there for 120 years, but I guarantee a year from now, there's going to be a few baseboards not done. Noah worked on that boat for 120 years. And there was no water. Baseboards make sense. Especially if they're disgusting. A boat A big boat, for that matter, where there's no water makes no sense. It looked like an act of distinct foolishness. Noah looked like a lunatic. But he acted on one thing. The command of God. 
and nothing else mattered but God's command. And he believed that God is, he believed that God's word was true and he acted accordingly and by that act he preached a message of repentance to the people who watched him. Imagine it. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year by year, decade after decade, until that doggone ark was built. And then the flood came. And the faith of that man was vindicated by God as Noah and his family were saved from death and destruction. And then he says, Christ, quote, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and power having been subject to him. I love this. I love visual imagery. I I love to close my eyes and picture heaven. I love thinking of like several units of Navy SEALs all around Jesus in the heaven. And I love thinking about quiet people and loud people and rambunctious people and warriors and desk clerks and they're all subject to him. What do you want from us today, Lord? Like, that is cool. Somebody needs to make a movie. You see, not only have you been saved, but you are being saved. Jesus is right now in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father. And he's interceding for you. He's talking to God about you. And everything you're dealing with, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, anything that's going wrong in your life, Jesus is interceding on behalf of you to the God of all creation. Are you kidding me? No offense, but you don't deserve that. I don't deserve that. Even if you're somewhat of a decent person, you still don't deserve that. But he's doing it. Because he loves you. I love what it says in Ephesians chapter 1 that Jesus rules over all things for the sake of of his body, the church. Look it up. Read Ephesians 1. You don't have to do it now, but but look it up at home. Read this chapter. He's ruling over all things for the sake of the body of the church. Jesus now exercises his lordship, not yours. He exercises his lordship for you and for me. He rules over every situation, every location, every circumstance, every injustice, and he must rule because his rule guarantees that all he has promised, all that he has said that will be provided will be done because he does rule in every situation, every location where those promises must be fulfilled. He's the only one that can do it. Not logic. Not good deeds, but Jesus. I want you to think about this right now. Your Savior 
is now Lord and rules on your behalf. Not an iron fist, but open arms. And oftentimes tears streaming down his face. Think Jesus doesn't care when you're hurting? I got news for you. No one hurts more when you're hurting. Not your spouse, not your parent, not your friend. No one hurts more when you hurt. And you need not doubt. You need not be afraid because he will complete his work. There will be a day when the mockery will end. There will be a day when there is no more torture. There will be a day when there's no more racism. And no more rejection. And no more suffering. And no more sadness. No more nights up all night long unable to sleep because you're worried about fill in the blank. It's all going to be washed away. It's all going to be made right. And you will live with him forever. And he will not relent. He will not sit down. He will not quit. He will not rest until that work is done in every single one of us. He reigns, and He reigns on our behalf. Amen? Amen. Alex is playing, so that means we got to go back to the beginning. I said we're going to flip this epistle on its head, so let's go back to the beginning. Peter says, if someone asks about your hope as a believer, if someone says, hey, why do you have this hope? Explain this to me. Why do you have this hope? As a believer, always be ready to explain it, Peter says, but do it in a gentle and respectful way. That's our instruction based on what you just heard. What you just heard is your hope. What you just heard is your answer of why you have hope. And the gospel, what we just talked about, Christ is your armor, is your tool, is your shield, is your weapon, is your safety, is your foundation for your living it out in a world that is completely opposed to the King of Kings. That's your hope. Friends, as long as you live, as long as I live in a fallen world, as long as suffering exists, and it does as long as there is continued injustice for every single person on this planet, and there has been since the beginning of time because of sin, you are a person in need of the gospel. Every day, all day, every day, all week, all month, all year, you need the gospel. Not the news not social media, not affirmation from friends or family or coworkers or neighbors, not hope in something that will fade away and will change tomorrow, but the message, the truth, and the hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. The only thing 
that will withstand the test of time. There is never a day in your life where you don't need the gospel. And may God make us a people, may God make us a church who sprints to the gospel. May God make us a people who run to the gospel, who run to the gospel, who sprint to the gospel, who wake up and run to the gospel. I hate running, but I will run to the gospel. You need to run to the gospel every day, all day. Not your phone, not your TV, not your friends, not even your spouse. You've got to run to the gospel. And there you will find hope. There you will find encouragement. There you will find reason to continue in Christ and his work in us and his work for us. You have heard the truth. I cannot give it any more clearly. You have heard the truth of the scriptures and may God give you humbleness and strength and wisdom and boldness to live it out this week. Do something with it. Because the gospel changes everything. And God is good. All the time. God is good. Let's pray together. So Lord, we love you. We love you. We are sinners in need of, of that passage. And I want to thank you for the truth of that passage. I want to thank you for the hope of that passage. I want to thank you for the life change of that passage. And the facts behind that passage allow us, as Peter said, to have a reason and a, and a way to explain our hope. That's it. And I know, God, that there's a lot of people right now that are looking at uh, our world circumstances and they're going, where's the hope of our world? I'm watching our nation diminish before our eyes. I don't know where is truth. I don't even know where to find truth. I don't know who's telling the truth. Well, we've just heard where hope, where uh, 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 identity, where encouragement, where truth comes from. And that is you, our holy God. Forgive us that we seek that in so many other places. And help us to turn our lives and to run to you. In the name of Jesus Christ. Who died in the flesh. But was risen. By the power of your spirit. You are so good. And you deserve our praise. Amen.